Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock from AmberUnmasked.com. And don't forget, you can sponsor the show on the website. Go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked, and you can pledge as little as a dollar per creation, which, um, for my rules, that means a dollar a week. And uh, you can sponsor more, and that would be super great. And um, so this is going to be a really awesome, fun episode because I haven't gotten a chance to talk to this woman for a couple of years other than Twitter. We, uh, we met up in Boston and so, for the first time on Vodka O'Clock, is comic creator Tana Ford. Hi, guys. Thanks. So, this is awesome because we had such a great panel. So, it's sort of your first time officially here, but I did record the panel we did. So, I guess that counts. So, so that kind of counts. So, um, it's your first solo time here. I know. I'm very excited. Yeah. So, if anybody wants to go back through the archives, there's um, the panel we did about queer comics and, uh, you know, life talking about life because all of us on the panel came from sort of different perspectives it was really was great we had i thought that that was quite a sparkling conversation we had um that was a lot of fun to do yeah because um you know like there we had like lesbian representation and i come from a polyamorous and you know bi slash pan whatever you want to call it these days yep. you know representation then we had um our gay male representation so it was it was wild. Yeah, Joey Stern was hilarious. Oh, my oh he's so, so funny. He's so funny. <laughs> and he's so the people. one, yeah, he's the one who pointed out to me, he's like, you know, no one in Star Trek is gay. Like, oh. this show's been on for 30 years yeah. or 40 years. And he was like, like, at this point, I would even take some super over-the-top token, you know, queen in the corner being like, hey, everybody, it's time for margaritas. Like, yeah. give me that guy. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, wow, he's so right. Yeah. Like, we're supposed to be in the future. Yep. He was that was hilarious. He was so great to have on the panel. I think what I what we can do is in our heads we can fanfic that and yeah. just be like, well, the gays took over the Earth, yeah. and that's why the rest of them are in space. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Yeah, man. So, yeah. So you're here. Um, you know, we're going to talk about your Kickstarter. We're going to talk about some movies and uh, you know stuff that's going on out in the world. Yeah. Um, and the the comics industry because you've been you've been chugging away at comics for like ten years and I feel like you it, 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 people always tell me that it takes like fifteen years to be breaking in. <laughs> well, I guess so, I guess that I'm kind of the example of that. Then I only got one year ago or about a year and a half now. Uh, I got my first gig at the mainstream comics. I got um, I got brought in to do an issue of New Warriors with Marvel. And I got to do a short story of Guardians of the Galaxy and an anti-bullying story with Jody Hauser, who is a fellow lady creator who's awesome. Um, I just finished Silk Number 7, which people seem to have loved. I mean, there are a couple of people who are like, her style doesn't appeal to me. But most people loved it, which is really great. Um, and that concluded a really, I think, powerful arc for Cindy Moon. Um, who is, I think, struggling with depression and, and sort of um, mental health inside a Marvel comic book. And I think that that's kind of really progressive. Um, you know, a lot of other, you know, smaller houses and uh, the creator-owned market have dealt with much stronger themes. But to see that in a Marvel book was really awesome, I thought. so. And, and there's the characters in it. 
Which okay, because this is this is a new like expansion on the the Spider Man universe. They just you know shorten it yeah. called the Spider Verse. Yeah, Cindy Moon um, is a yeah. She was a character created essentially to be um, a love interest, just sort of like a sexual partner for Peter Parker, and so she played into this like Asian woman fantasy nebulous questionable space for a long time, and then they rebooted the character. And Robbie Thompson wrote it, and the woman that handled the art duties, Stacy Lee, is phenomenal. And I think that they just created a, an, a, a really awesome new telling of, you know, this old and problematic character and really breathed new life into her storyline. So It's cool. A similar thing happened with Batwoman, like the Batwoman yeah. that they most recently created. Um, yeah. You mean the, was- the Greg Rucka one? Yeah, was was unrelated to, mm-hmm. you know, basically who held the title before. It wasn't the same character. And, um, you know, a lot of times we fight reboots yep. because we, we we like to hold on to things <laughs> that are comfortable and familiar. But at the same time, you know, when something really works and that, that Batwoman character really oh, yeah. works. And I feel like because I'm such not such an outsider, but because for I think the overarching theme of my life is that I haven't seen a reflection or a representation of my experience in mainstream comics and even in the very niche industry of queer comics, which is dominated, I think, by um, some really fantastic gay men and gay male art. And then also you get this sort of like cupcake lesbian. It's not really like the experience of being a real lesbian. It's just sort of titillating and you know male gazy stuff which there's a market for it I'm not saying you can't make art like that but it it certainly doesn't reflect my experience Uh, and so I'm always on the hunt for you know characters that speak to me like that and oh man when I found Kate Kane I was hooked immediately (laughs) she's pretty great yeah she is my favorite by far and she's so flawed and gothy and like you know, over the top tragic in some ways that I just, I can't help but love her. I've, uh, I've been withholding mainly uh, for, for budget reasons because the DC and Marvel books are really pricey, but there's um, DC just had a big sale on a uh, comiXology anyway, because Batman day was last week. Yep. And, um, but one of the, the books that I'm waiting to find a sale for is the new version, the new Catwoman because I had really liked her before when she had a solo title. Yep. And then I heard, you know, that they they outed her, and yeah. I'm like, okay. And I like the way she's she's like drawn. They've sort of, um, you know, like you and I were we're going to talk about anyway about yeah. the the idea of what a butch uh, dyke can be. Yeah, and these so it, stone butches of history. Yeah, so they they draw her like that with this, you know, white shirt, black suit, short, yeah. spiky black hair. I love. I mean, if if I could get away with that look. <laughs> It'd be great. I can't. I mean, it's like, a, I don't know. It's a certain look. Leela Gwen, we know Leela can get away with it. Um, I can't get away with it. Nice. Well, what are you reading? Do you have any comics right now that you're super jazzed about? Oh, well, yeah. Butch Planet. I'm Butch Planet. I'm calling it Bitch Planet. <laughs> Butch is on the mind. Butch is on the mind. Bitch Planet yep. is freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, Rat Queens is good. I just picked up the first Rat Queens trade. I've been meaning to do it, and I live in South Florida, and we have – there are a couple of, like, s- suspicious-looking comic book stores near me, uh, and there's a really fantastic one that's, um, you know, sort of 35, 40 minutes south, so it's a hike to get there. Uh, and so I go maybe once a month 
once every month and a half, and I just, like, buy the store when I'm there. And so it's called Tate's, Tate's Comics. They have one in North Miami and one in Boynton Beach, I think, which is more north than Miami. Anyway, they're a great store, and uh, they have a great community. The last time I went in there, a couple of weeks back, it was like a meet R2-D2 Star Wars day. And so there's, like, kids down the street. Like, it was so awesome. And families and, like, nerdy parents getting into it. People dressed up. It was awesome. And that was just, like, on a random Sunday. So That's cool. Yeah, yeah. My, my comic shop is – it took me an hour to get home last night. Yeah. So yeah. yay for traffic. And <laughs> But, yeah, that's – you know, but uh, I, I've at least checked out some some really impressive titles that have good – balance of characters yeah. or yep. or definitely you know stronger independent female characters bitch planet is obviously stellar um it takes them a long time to really get it out because they put so much care into it and that's something that i the team talks about yep and um they include essays in the back nice. that's not yeah so it's not just like commentary about the characters but it's actually like outsiders who are not part of the the comic book team, but people from the community who, who contribute these pieces. And then they always have like a fan section where people send in photos of their tattoos. Cause everybody's got non-compliant tattoos these days. I would love to have one. That's fantastic. But, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, stuff like Copperhead, uh, you know, image is doing great. Yep. Um, action lab does pretty good. Yeah. Very nice. I'm into Saga, um, of course. And let's see, I'm really excited to read the end of the Neil Gaiman Sandman, uh, you know, six issue mini. I think the last one just came out or is going to come out this week. I don't know. Um, but it's been gorgeous. And getting back to Batwoman, the artist on that, J.H. Williams III, is doing the art on Sandman, this version of Sandman, and it's just been glorious. It's Oh, that's an amazing match. Yeah. I don't care if if you are a good artist and writer team, to my mind you can take all the time in the world to make that story because that story is gonna stay for the ages. So I know they've been getting some flack at Vertigo for it coming out so slowly, but for me I'm like, I don't care. Take take your time and make it as good as you can. Same thing with Bitch Planet. Like just make an awesome thing for me to keep and read. Yeah, absolutely. And um there's just so much care Mm -hmm. put into it and you can just tell um i i got to see a little bit of um in new york at special edition con um the artist on bitch planet valentine delandro was on a panel and it was just awesome to hear him talk about how because he draws all these women in this prison system and they're all different ethnicities, yeah. shapes, shapes, heights, athletic ability. Because part of this is that they end up on this like athletic sports team yeah. competition. Thing. I think I have the and, first two issues, and that's the end of the. That's as current as I am. So I'm familiar as as long as the artist has stayed the same. I'm familiar with the art style and the general yeah. premise. And it's he's really cool, and and he said that he's constantly asked, you know, basically like, oh well, you know, how do you where do you get reference to draw women like this? And he's like, I just look outside, right. you know, like it seemed so obvious to him. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, he's not, he's not copying pictures from porn. Right. And right. Which in you, it's so funny to look back, not even that long ago at comic book positions. You know, I like that we're having this dialogue now in the industry 
um, and that people seem to actually and deeply care. I think the majority of people really care about the field of comics and that not everything is going to be or should be these TNA, like cupcake pinups, obvious porn, you know, you you paused it on the porn and like drew that position and then just like drew some jeans on her and a high-waisted top or something. Like it's, it's, I'm so glad that it's changing. <laughs> oh God, I'm so glad yeah. that it's changing. And, you know, and not even, I'm not even looking to like eliminate any of that yeah. because, you know, because I love yeah. it too. I love, I love cheesecake, but yeah. I want, I want yeah. the free market. I want the choice. Yep. yep. That if I want to, you know, if I want to look at a Frank Cho pinup because he draws beautiful yeah, women, I want to look at that. But, you know, I also like things where people draw fabric. Right. right. And different body types. And body uh, type. yeah, there was, what was it? Sarah Pichelli is one of my favorites. And her run on the Miles Morales Spider-Man uh, series, her and Bendis. I really love that. And I think she trades off art duties with David Marquez, but it doesn't matter. They both do fantastic, uh, a fantastic job on that series. And you get to see, you know, there's, there are very beautiful and sort of cookie cutter shaped women. The Mary Janes and Gwen Stacy's tend to be kind of the same body type. Um, But we're seeing a lot of kids, like there's a scene set inside of a high school and you get a wide swath of, body types and height and different, you know, ethnicities, you get a lot of, like, it's easy to say, I could find myself in that comic, you know, which isn't something that was true uh, for me growing up. And so it's really awesome to see uh, that these changes are infiltrating and that they matter. I mean, the Ms. Marvel book is fantastic. It's, I, I really, I'm very encouraged by the changes that we're seeing in the industry. Well, when, um, you know, as a creator, you've, well, you've been, you've got so much experience in this already. Um, you've had nominations for awards specifically that are, you know, like honoring, you know, the queerness of the content, yep. like the Prism Award and Lambda Literary nominations and stuff. So when, um, when that recognition starts happening, how does it make you feel? Because I was wondering if, if you sort of feel like, oh, now we're, now we're mainstream, so we're cool, or, yeah. you know, is there like a backlash so, to getting recognition? Well, I certainly don't feel like now that we're mainstream, we're cool. We've been cool forever, and, you know, <laughs> it's you guys, the, the wide world is only now getting, catching up with us uh, and our awesome coolness. But I think, so queer comics, the history of queer comics is a wonderful and varied and diverse and long running thing. Like there have been queer comics going on underground for many, many years, despite the, you know, comic book authority code or whatever the, you know, where you had to have only like moral content in Marvel comic books and DC comic books, the underground comic book movement didn't have any of that. And so you could show, authentic reflections of what it was like to be a gay man in the fifties. You've got Wendell, you've got stuck rubber baby. You've got all of these, this like real raw queer cultural history stuff that you could read if you wanted to. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. I have been wondering myself what is happening. So 
in my life, I'm almost 35 and I came out only after I left the small town that I grew up in because I didn't feel safe coming out in that small town and I had to go away. I'd never met a real gay person in my life. So I go away to college in Boston and I meet women who like women and aren't ashamed of their gayness. And it was a revelation for me. Suddenly all this stuff that was like, that I felt was wrong about me and unique to me, that there was something wrong with me because I was the only one like this went away. Like it just, I, I found a community, a community found me and I felt welcomed by that. And it was a real game changer for me. Um, and so I, I was wondering now what it would be like if I was coming out at this moment in history, how it's different for kids today than it was for me. And for me, it was so important to have queer space. I'm writing this book or I've already written this book. I'm drawing my graphic novel, Duck, Third Time is the Charm. And it takes place in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is a historically queer space. Um, and that is such an unusual feeling for a gay kid. Like you walk into this town and you are suddenly, and for the first time in your life, the default setting. Everyone is queer or on some you know, position in the spectrum of gay and other. And that's the normal. That's the default. And I, I, I have to tell you, you've never felt anything like it. And so occupying queer space, being in a space that is for the first time ever normal, where you are normal and not other, is really awesome. And so I'm wondering what's happening in this age of marriage equality and gay rights and gay visibility, gay media and TV. What's going to happen to our historically queer spaces? And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. So it's really cool, though, that um, that, you know, you you had the experience in Provincetown because I was thinking about um, about, you know, where I, I live. And what's funny is I'm about an hour and a half from Greenwich Village. Yep. And about an hour from a little place called New Hope, Pennsylvania. And New Hope is a darling uh, gay friendly town. Yeah. Like the shops all have, you know, rainbow flags. And yeah. it's like one of my favorite places in the world. Nice. And yeah, so it's um, it, it's not like in my immediate town. But then here's the weird thing yeah. about uh, about my own exposure um, besides like, I mean, I literally, you know, we were talking about porn and I don't pan porn because I love it. But um right. There's issues, but like, you know, literally other than like stealing my dad's playboys and I did not read it for the articles, uh, <laughs> um, the, the college that I went to had been an all women's school yep. until the year that I started and it went co-ed. So there were like maybe 10 guys in it right. when I went there. So it had basically been considered like this, um, you know, heavily lesbian, tiny little school. I mean, it was as far as college population goes, it's tiny. Yeah. But, it, you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, if, if girls shacked up in the same dorm room, it was kind of, right. it still wasn't really like talked about. Like, why is it a secret in an all girls school to be talking right. about, you know, who's going to sleep in whose bed? Right. So weird, but it's because of the town and, you know, just. Was there like a gossipy nature about it? Did it feel sort of like you were in a gay high school or something? Yeah, sort of. Like it did. Like you whispered it when you said it. And it was like, you know, so what? <laughs> town. Were you in a super urban town or was there like a cow to student ratio? You're out in the... Yes. 
is very, very much cows. <laughs> we do have, we do have a lot of cows. We are known, known for our dairy out here. Um, so, but it's funny. So it was like any, any possible, like, you know, lesbian that you'd run into it was the the flannel wearing yeah. short hair very specific super stereotypical yeah work boots home depot and <laughs> and then one of my one of my jobs that um i had in my i'm trying to think how old i was is i think it was my late 20s early 30s somewhere around there i had this yeah. office office job for this gigantic global company okay and um so this woman that I ended up just, uh, you know, eventually becoming office friends with, mm-hmm. and she was the most like beautiful woman, yeah, thin, tall, gorgeous, platinum blonde hair, the most gorgeous wardrobe and jewelry yeah. and perfectly made up. And I find out that she's gay. And I was just like, I would just like try to not creepily stare at her. because. <laughs> Now, what do you think? How did it feel for you to, you know, have the, did this person out themselves to you or did you just hear that she was gay? Yeah, no, we, no, we talked about it because, um, it's, it came up that she was going through a breakup and she was a little, a a little bit older than me. So I sort of had like this, you know, wow, like she's, you know, can she like mentor my weird little self? Like at this point, my thirties still needed a mentor. Um, and it was just you know, how basically like the process to her was the same as a divorce, even though there was no legal marriage. And it's one of those things that, you know, the, the legality of marriage has been really important to me after meeting people who go through these problems. Like they had a house together and they had to divide all of these assets. And there was, you know, it was one, it, it was so emotionally painful for her that it was no, there was no difference, so I don't understand why other people see it as different. Right. Right. You know, and the movie Free Held um, is is opening this weekend, I think. So it's, uh, which is based on people who really were f- from New Jersey yeah. and how they had to fight for uh, death benefits when one of the partners was dying of cancer and stuff. So it's like this yeah. critical time. Yeah. Where, hey, Supreme Court and all that, and there's still problems and things we have to fight for. Yep, yep, absolutely, especially with don't ask, don't tell, survivor benefits. If you had families, if you were a lesbian or a gay couple and one of you is in the military, you wouldn't be notified if your spouse, but not legally recognized spouse, and also if anyone finds out about your relationship, you're going to be fired in disgrace, gets killed. Like, there's an emotional element there's a financial element um Edie Windsor who was the one that was the plaintiff for the defense of marriage the you know the uh, marriage equality uh, movement and her partner dies and she loses something like three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars that if they had been legally married she wouldn't have had to pay in taxes, like estate taxes or whatever, like more, almost half a million dollars she has to pay after being with this woman for 50 years, you know, in a committed, long-term loving relationship. And so it's just like, there is a huge financial burden on these families and a huge financial burden on these families. And we've made some really impressive and outstanding strides in gay rights just in my lifetime just in your lifetime and it's kind of impressive and sobering and and wonderful 
It is. And that's, um, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think it's um, people don't realize what the privilege is yep. um, because the they just they, they think it's a tax write off yep. and that's it. And it's like, no, there's more. Yep. You, you know, you brought up the military and yep. a friend of mine uh, when she got married, like uh, kind of on a whim one time when she was really young because her husband, she, you know, this guy was about to ship out yep. with the Navy and they wouldn't give her any information on his status. Yep. So they got married. Exactly. And it's like, those are things that even straight people, you know, need to think about, about the importance of it yep. and why it matters. Yep. And, and I think that there's, so there's, there are a lot of benefits. And I think that we're living in this, what, what strikes me, I was watching, me and my girlfriend were watching Sense8. Have you seen this Netflix show? I've seen through episode eight, okay. I think. It's, I love it. I think it's fantastic and fun. And I have been a longtime fan of the Wachowski siblings. And I just think that um, that it's doing really awesome things. But it got me thinking about queer space. And I, I can't get this idea of what is happening. So where I'm from, I live in South Florida now, but I am from Boston. And there is this amazing, wonderful queer community in Boston. Um, and there are a couple of different enclaves. Uh, Somerville, which is one of the like suburbs, is very queer friendly. And then there's a little more uh, it, it, families live in Jamaica Plain, and it's got a ton of bars and there's a young crowd and it's near a lot of the hospitals, but it is sort of family oriented, but it's multiracial families, multi-generational families. Like you've got uh, a lot of queer people, young and old that live there. And it's sort of this gay enclave. It's called gay P instead of JP, but because it used to be dangerous to live there 20, 30 years ago and property was more affordable Queer people moved in, I'm talking sort of in broad strokes, but they moved in, made a safe space for themselves here, you know, took over local bars and things, and that became local hangouts and safe spaces for people who are queer to congregate. Um, And then, you know, moved into the neighborhood, cleaned up the neighborhood, made it safer, started raising families, and now everyone wants to live there. And so property prices go up, and there's just sort of typical gentrification that's happening But I was talking to a friend this weekend who was in from Philly, and he was saying that they have a discussion going on right now about, I think it's the Gaberhood near where he lives. And it's called, it's an area called the Gaberhood, and it's very, um, like, city central, uh, touristy. And I forgive me if you're from Philly and you're listening to this, and I don't know what I'm talking about. I was going to, yeah, I was going to bring up Philly. Yeah, Yeah, Philly's Gaberhood. It's actually marked on the street sign for where the street name, they have um, rainbows going on across, yeah. you know, uh, above them. So you know where you are. And so they're thinking there's this thing happening right now where they're thinking of changing it to the village. They want to change the neighborhood to the village, like the Philly village or something like that. And to make it what more accessible to non-queer people. I don't think that's what's keeping people out. I think that this is a hot spot. So we had a very, um, sort of excited conversation about the changing mutable nature of queer space in the world today as normalcy is creeping in and sort of nibbling away at the edges of, of queer community and queer culture. The spaces that we've carved out for ourselves out of necessity are being not invaded, but kind of taken over and assimilated 
And what does that mean for us as a, as a queer community, as a queer family, as a family of other non-traditional, you know, outside the box people? What does that mean for us? And I, I have no answers, but I'm thinking about it sort of constantly. And it's definitely affecting the way that uh, my book, Duck Third Time is the Charm, which you can donate to right now on Kickstarter. It's affecting the way that that is unfolding. You know, I find that I'm drawing more of the shop windows in Provincetown and like the chain, there's a great sex toy uh, shop there. It was the first time I'd ever seen an antique vibrator, which is a terrifying thing, by the way. (laughs) Oh, it is. It looks like a torture device. (laughs) They do. They look like these clunky, heavy steel and rust like monstrosities. So anyway, they have, um, it's a great scene, but I want to include some of those, you know, I'm, I'm finding that I'm drawing some of these antique pieces in the windows, very noticeable in uh, the highly detailed graphic novel that I'm writing, because, because I'm afraid that this space is going to disappear. And I'm afraid that if I don't, if it doesn't get recorded, we'll lose it, you know, or we'll lose it to the candying up of Hollywood in the way that we're losing um, like Stonewall, what actually happened at Stonewall or, you know, is it Freehold? Freetown? Uh, Freeheld. Freeheld, the movie coming out of New Jersey right now. Right, so, right. You know, and, and and I don't think for P-Town that there's any real immediate danger. You know, there's, it's a vibrant community, people, it is very beloved. I don't see it going away or getting less queer. But there's a part of me that really is sort of white knuckling, holding on to what it was like, because that was an important part of me feeling like it was okay to be gay, that it, that there were more people like me. I didn't have to know you. You and I could pass each other on the street in P-Town, and there would be a knowing look between us that we there was something about us that was the same. You know, you can identify in whatever way that you identify, and it's outside of the norm. And so so is my experience, but we're the same. And that sense of like silent community is, I don't know, so powerful. So the it's, I think it's a very real and very valid fear that you have about the spaces, mm-hmm. because even, um, uh, you know, like in, in New Hope, Pennsylvania, which is a very small town, yep. um, they, it was, it was basically known as like a little artist's enclave it's the bucks county theater is there so a lot of new york city actors would basically like you know weekend or perform or whatever at this you know small little town and all these little boutiques are there and the shops change like every three years you know kind of a thing yeah but a a freaking motherfucking Starbucks moved in and I love Starbucks but I don't think it belongs it does not belong in downtown on main street yeah you know a few more yeah you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I want to know that every time I go to New Hope that I'm going to be able to go into that chocolate shop yep. and s- spend, you know, you know, maybe it's you think it's too much money. I don't know. But like spend five dollars on a freaking chocolate covered strawberry because it's the size of your head. Yep. Yep. I mean, I, you know, you will get no mudslinging from me about that. We in in P-Town, there are no Starbuckses. There's no Dunkin Donuts, which in Massachusetts is unheard of to have a town without a Dunkin Donuts. And maybe someone will correct me and say it's in a gas station or something. But on the strip on Commercial Street, which runs parallel to this gorgeous ocean view, and these tiny little sort of businesses and cottages crammed in one next to the other, you have a half dozen 
coffee shops, but the two that stick out to me are Joe's, which has this brick outdoor patio and they, you know, it, I love Joe's. And then at the other end of town is Wired Puppy, which is some of my friends' favorite iced coffee in the world. And they're quirky and they're, you know, all staffed by queer people and allies. And it's, it is such a relief. There's no Starbucks there. Maybe there's a Starbucks there now. I haven't been there this year, but I don't think so. And I think that they're doing a lot to sort of protect and preserve that space. Um, at least I hope they are. But I have no, I don't actually know if they are. But I think they must be. Well, do you, since you've had, you know, the kind of experience where you found someplace that was um, accepting, yep. which, like I said, it was, you know, really the opposite of kind of what I went through. I, mean, yep. I like, I, you know, that Jenny, Jenny Wood's been on the show and she yep. came from a, com- also a completely different kind of town than I did yeah. because she was from the South where it, everything was really yep. m- way more terrifying than here. Like here, it's just kind of like, you just don't do it. You just don't show it. Yep. Yep. I, I almost got kicked out of a mall with my girlfriend um, a few years ago because yeah. we kissed. Yeah. We were kissing like literally like the smallest pack that you'd be practically like really? a whole row. Um, waiting for a movie uh, outside the movie theater to start because um, there, mind you, a million people around. It was a Harry Potter movie. There was like a million people. And there were like kids making out and and all kinds of stuff. So I just like put my arm around her and gave her like a kiss on the mouth. Yeah. Like smallest thing. And security came over and tried to kick us out. You are kidding me. And I am surprised by this. I should. I, 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 yeah, this is up in, like, the city area of Jersey. I think it was, like, Paramus. In, like, one of these, like, Jersey's biggest, giantest mall. And yep. so I'm thinking, okay, this is the city. Like, have you people not seen this shit? Yep. Come on. Yep. And the fact that we're adults. Yep, yep. You know, it's not like we were doing anything salacious. Yep. And we were hanging out with a group of friends. So yep. there was, like, six of us all just standing around. And What did they say it, to you? They said that we were being inappropriate and that if we didn't stop, we'd, we'd be forced to leave. What were the security guards? More than one? Just one? No. Just one guy. Yep. And the amount of going off on him that I did yeah. like, could probably be heard across the HUD. Oh, thank God. Tell me, Give me the cliff notes or just I, what you said to him. Yeah. I, I basically, you know, just said that there was absolutely nothing wrong with what we were doing. Yep. That, you know, at the time it was my, you know you know long-term girlfriend yep. and I'm like there's I'm like we didn't do anything wrong we're hanging out with friends I'm like there was like we're not fondling each other yep. we're not groping each other and if you have a problem with this yep. then I really want to speak to your your boss yeah. right this second you better get, get fired it. right now yeah I mean and that was basically it and he's like well somebody complained I said then you tell me right now who complained and I will go talk to yep. that person he's yep. like no no no, no I, can't, yep. I can't I'm like good for you so yeah, so we like went off and off and off. And then finally what happened, and this was kind of a cool thing and yep. a surprising thing was total strangers yeah. ended up coming to our defense. Yay! And I was just like, yeah, yeah, this was like so weird. I'm like, I don't know you people. And I'm in this city oh, that I don't so- know. And out of my element, yeah, I was around like a couple of friends, but I'm like, yep. I'm very like scared I'm so- in places. Yeah, I'm so glad that you held your ground and you said something. So, like, yeah, so these total strangers just went up and they're like, look, we were here. We saw you. We, you know, yeah. so we told him, you know, we told him that there was nothing going on. And and by the time we exited the movie, like three hours later, Harry Potter. Right, um, right. 
<laughs> he, you know, everybody was like, had to be funneled down a certain way because the mall was long since closed. Yep. Yep. And he apologized. Did he? Yeah. Oh my God. That's fantastic. Yeah. So like co- completely like yep. one of my worst experiences yep. of my life, like mortified. Yep. I'm in a Target and it's, we're doing Christmas shopping. It's the first Christmas that I'm bringing Kirsten home with me. So it's probably two years ago now. And, you know, so I'm with my girlfriend, we're holding hands and we are doing the most adorable thing possible, which is picking out outfits for my niece, who is probably six at the time. So six-year-old girl clothes in Target and she has a twin brother. So I'm picking out like cute little sweater vests and stuff for him and we're squealing at one another. And it's this really sort of wonderful shopping. Like I'm super excited to have her coming home and meeting my family. And you know, it's the holidays. Everything is beautiful and wonderful. And this Target employee comes up to us. We had been holding hands. Um, you know, we're just sort of walking through the aisles and like squealing at each other about different outfits. And we must kiss. Like there must be a kiss or maybe I have my arm around her or something. And this shitty little, uh, worker at Target, some, high schooly young 20s guy marches up to us and just says something I don't I went immediately into blackout rage mode and he just is like that's disgusting you need to get out of here there's family shopping here like he spits this hate at me and Kirsten who knows me and loves me very well uh just kind of like squeezes my shoulder. She's holding, you know, we're holding hands. She has her arm around me. I have my arm around her. And she just kind of like steers me away and starts saying, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And it's Christmas and there's kids and there are families. And I can feel my blood just boiling. We put down all the clothes, we leave the store and I tell no one. And to this day, I wish I had made a scene. Like I, I wish... I still replay it and I can see this kid's face and I can see the hate and I just, it makes me angry and terrified both at the same time. And it's funny because that kid probably watches plenty of lesbian porn. Yeah. Like he was just, he was just spitting hate in my face. Oh, do you you ever, um, it sucks that you had to go through that by the way. Um, uh, yeah, no, I go into rage mode. I kind of, yeah, I, I generally don't oh, keep my so mouth about, about anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and now that I'm, you know, it's like I have a boyfriend and like literally it's one of those things where nobody would even look at you. Right. You could be doing, you know, more than what you had done with your girlfriend and no one's going to give you a second glance. No one's going to yeah. chastise you or tell you that that's inappropriate in public or. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like I've practically had sex on a subway before <laughs> with a guy. And it was just like, no big deal. You know, that's, you know, on Jon Stewart, when they would do like whole pieces about like only in Florida, there's <laughs> like, now that I live in Florida, I'm like, oh God, that does happen. Somebody recently got arrested on the beach because they were like this couple, a straight couple was fucking on the beach in front of like on a crowded beach in front of kids. Like, yeah. what is the matter with you? Yeah. Uh, and it's so funny. Like, hey, I'm not throwing stones on all the beaches you want but like maybe be more careful about the beaches that you choose 
But yeah, the police had to like go to their house and arrest them. And I'm like, oh God, only in Florida. I can't, yeah, I can't believe I haven't been arrested yet for some of the things I've done. <laughs> Don't move to Florida. <laughs> have you, so so with this awfulness, this awful hate, yeah. um, have, have you had to experience that regarding your uh, fictional work? So, because I, I and the, the reason I bring this up is because only like, about three or four weeks ago, the new Star Wars book came out, and I know the author, and he's basically like, you know, it, we, it's just called the gay Star Wars because he literally has like one line where he mentions that a woman has a wife, and that makes it the gay Star Wars. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I was like, yeah, oh great, I'm, is there just like a bunch of gay people fucking all over the place? No, it's just one mention. It's of just one like, wife. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's really benign. Like I haven't. I, <laughs> This is the thing, right? Like, my world um, is like a pink bubble. You know, most of my friends are lesbians, and I have very close family ties. You know, I have brothers and cousins, and so I know a lot of straight people, and I love a lot of straight people, but the community that I've chosen for myself are mostly gay. And so I have this, I think, skewed perspective on the world, and I find now that I've entered the sphere of traditional comics or mainstream comics that it feels a lot like a culture shock, that people are different outside my pink bubble. You know, like they, like talking, saying that this is a gay Star Wars because somebody mentions a wife. (laughs) It's it's almost the least gay thing that somebody can do. I mean, that's the most heteronormative thing gay couples are doing right now is getting married. Like this is, come on, really? Is that a thing? This is a thing, really? So, yeah, so the like his Amazon reviews are <laughs> they're entertaining and thank God for his soul because he he deals with it. Yeah. Like very well, whereas other people might cringe and retreat from the internet forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but but Chuck Wending is is a big internet presence and he he copes with it just fine and he'll actually like retweet some of these yeah. Amazon reviews. Oh, I think that's the best. I love a good you know, tongue in cheek retweet. So, you know, with your, your glorious pink bubble, but you've had now these like these bigger, more recognizable, like award nominations and everything. And you've been on, on bigger books, like, you know, the Marvel and everything. So are things different? I'm still trying to find a foothold or I'm trying to figure out if there is a place for me and for people like me in mainstream comics. Um, but for my own work, so I'm the, writer and illustrator of a lesbian comic book series called Duck. The first book that I made, Duck, an original graphic novel, won the, was a recipient of the Prism Comics Queer Press grant in 2010. And then the sequel to that book, Duck Second Chances, was a Lambda Literary Award finalist, one of only four finalists uh, in last year's Lambda Literary Awards. I was up against... Uh, The woman that won, Nicole Georges, has a Calling Dr. Laura graphic novel, um, which is a graphic memoir. It was put out by, I think, HarperCollins. Um, And then The Fifth Beetle, which comic book fans might also know because it's gorgeous, was in the running. So, like, my little book that I made by myself that reflects my community and my friend group and authentic lesbian experience was up against these heavy hitters. And that felt really great to me. Um, the only blowback that I got, I had been hearing in my own life, in my own pink bubble, a lot of troubling things, 
some transphobic things and especially a lot of biphobic stuff. Like there's just a lot of sort of, I don't know, demeaning talk about bisexuality that I was uncomfortable with and thought the way I want to deal with this is by putting it in my book. So I have my main character, Duck, struggling at the beginning of Duck Second Chances, struggling with a bisexual ex-girlfriend. So they go to a club, it's a gay club, and Duck's group of friends sees that her ex-girlfriend is on the dance floor dancing with, you know, a bio dude, with a heterosexual dude in this gay club. So we have an invasion of queer space and how the people inside it feel, whether or not, you know, so there's like, so I have a scene where a, a few things are happening and where my main character is biphobic because I thought the best way to address this is to come at it straight on. Um, and so I got not blowback about that, but I don't really resolve it. The, you know, the book sort of ends without any real resolution of that. And in Duck, Third Time is the Charm, we've got Duck running head on into, she's going to have to address her biphobia and some transphobia that's happening. One of her ex-girlfriends chooses, gets with a trans man instead of Duck. And Duck is not happy about it. And so there's this really, I think, great sort of love triangle happening in the narrative that's going to, that addresses for me some things that need to be talked about or that I wish were talked about more openly because there's sort of a nuanced relationship situation when you're inside the gay community because not everyone is the same. You know, not everyone is in agreement. There's no overarching sameness to everyone's belief. Like some people are going to feel differently than you do. So people have prejudices and biases and, and all sorts of like shades. And I'm trying to shine a spotlight on some of those, some of those things and talk about it in a safe space, Provincetown, where I think real evolution of character can happen in a way that is as safe as possible, but also as profound as I can make it. I think that you, um, if you face any backlash, it's something that is not uncommon because um, it seems to, I don't know, it just seems to happen where sometimes a writer creator um, gets accused of, of being the, the person instead of the character and and it's like no I created this character to be an asshole like to be an asshole or I created this character to you know I um was it Stephen King I think was often accused of uh, of gay bashing and he's like I made a character who does this yep like yep you know this is not this is not my beliefs this is what this character is doing I think though in comics it's a fine line there was an autobiographical comic or something that like strayed very close to the line. Image put it out recently. Do you remember reading this? Yeah, in the Airboy. Yep, and they have all this like transphobic bullshit, yeah. and kind of yeah. And yeah. So it just like that was a firestorm. It really was, and it was one of those things where um, it's called Airboy. I read the first two issues, um, and because it's supposed to be like this uh sort of like this autobiographic uh, autobiography of how the the writer and artist came together as a team to make comics um but they go like there's a lot of drugs and clubs and stuff like that and 
they were upset that they were being accused of transphobia because their characters, I don't know whether this really happened to them right. or not, but their their characters end up having sex with um, transgender women yep. in a club. And the one character was really surprised by it, whereas, um, well, I think it was a fiction, that, that was like a right. crazy fictional character, but not one of them. So it was like one of those things where it's like, okay, well, this is something that, we had our character do and then we had somebody take the position of being surprised by it. So how does that harm you? And what the transgender community spoke out about was because it's a dangerous trope that you just wrote. It perpetuates a really, a real stereotype. And I think, you know, is that the same thing happened in Batgirl, whereas it's this idea that trans women in particular are out to, um, deceive you the the saccharine seductress sexual temptress deceiver idea so yeah so even though it was one of those things where they had a character who was like comfortable having sex in a bathroom with a trans woman um they because of whoever the character was and whatever year it was supposed to be i think it was supposed to be in the 90s or something yeah um you know throwing out the word tranny like as like to them, it was like some kind of term of inclusion and endearment. Yep. And it's like really fell apart and yep. the comics community really became divided. And yep. it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, I respect them as creators for making this vision. And it was, yep. I mean, it's well-made, it's well-crafted. Yep. They're putting their hats in the ring. They're getting down in the trenches and I can respect that. But, you know, on the other hand, they need to then, not deny that they hurt people. Yep. Yep. And I think, so I had a conversation with Kirsten, my girlfriend recently, and I said, you know, I think I was really fortunate to come up. I came into my own as an adult in a very supportive community. I came into it with a lot of biases and internalized homophobia and all of the stuff that, you know, that people come into awareness, like you, you're allowed to grow into your awareness And I I was able to do that in a very supportive environment with people that were willing to break things down for me in a way that I could understand. And I took a lot of classes. Um, I also went to an all-women's college um, in Boston. And so uh, we were surrounded by other colleges. And I was right down the street from Fenway Park. And, like, it was – we're between all these busy hospitals. Like, it was super urban. And Boston has the most colleges of any – place on the planet. So like, it's very much a college town. So we weren't cow to student ratio, um, which was great. But I got to live in this very sort of uh, inclusive environment that just sort of slammed me with all of these perspective shifts and changes in thought and like, other experience um, that opened my mind. And Kirsten, my girlfriend has a different experience. She went to a different school in a different area. And it is interesting to see the way that we approach things as adults because we come at them from different perspectives. And I think that I tend to be more gentle with people who have to learn, like these creators, these guys who use the word tranny and are trying, I think, struggling maybe to say something about acceptance. If we're being really generous, we might say that. Um, But they're doing it in sort of a tone deaf and even in a damaging way. And I think if they're willing to accept that, 
you know, and have a conversation about it, then we can learn something as a community from it. And we can, they can course correct uh, in a very, you know, particular private way uh, with their project. But I worry that we police our allies more than than we should, more than we go after people who are actively hurting the community. Do you have an opinion on this? I Yeah, it's uh, basically the way that you phrased it by saying pointing something out and then uh, you know, hoping that it, a team can course correct. That's something that I, I learned, um, and it's recently, like the last few years. It's, yes, it's policing, but it's also not meant to crush anybody's freedoms of speech at all. It's, you know, make what you want to make, but understand that there's consequences. A lot of that I get back to with, whether you know whose property is it like what's appropriate for a a Batgirl book is not going to be the same thing that's appropriate for a creator owned book right and um you know I think a lot of context gets lost in the fights that we end up having and um you know I just had this discussion over over lunch in fact a few days ago with somebody we were talking about the Batgirl Joker variant cover and I you know and the Milo Minara Spider-Woman cover. And I, I said, you know, I had to bring up context again. I said, yep. what what you're missing here is the the people who are most vocal about these books, yep. you know, the, the, that they're, they're women, you know, they, they have an attachment to the character because of like, you're saying you need to see characters that reflect you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when something goes awry and you're hurting the people who are, supporting you whether you know through money or promotion or cosplay like whatever it is you don't want to hurt them and um i think the batgirl team has handled it the best of all of the faux pas yeah. that i've seen yeah i think that they i i agree with you i think that they were mortified that they had made that misstep and i don't think they saw it i don't think there was any sort of intentionality uh behind it and so I think this was really for them. They didn't see it until they were already, they'd already stepped into it up until up to their eyeballs. Uh, and then they were profusely apologetic and course corrected and actually put their money where their mouth was. It wasn't just lip service and business as usual. They course corrected. And that matters to the, I think to the community, but certainly to me, I think we have to allow people to course correct and to learn. Not everyone has the same environment in which they can learn and make mistakes. You know, we all evolve, like we're constantly learning new things. And I think increasing our empathy and our sensitivity and our understanding of other, of marginalized groups or voiceless groups or people that don't um, often get heard in, in these sorts of environments is really important and beneficial. I think, um, yeah. So I don't know. I think it's, it's no, but it's the learning is a a really big, important thing to me. And I think, I don't know if it's, I I really don't know if it's an age thing. Like if we can get into that, like grumpy old men, like they don't want to learn anything. Well, yeah, they're going to be a term for it or something. Florida is a God's waiting room. Right. And so there's a term that's like, they will be that generational turnover will solve this problem. And it just basically means, when all you 
uh, bigots die finally. You know, like your kids are less bigoted than you by and large. And so when you assholes die, the world will be a better place. And it's called generational turnover. Well, as yeah, and it's appropriate. Do you as a, as a creator, because, um, you know, obviously, like I met you from from a convention. Yep. Do you get the chance to leave your table and observe any panels? Because I tell you what, I have learned so much by not tabling. Yeah. Um, and, and going going to panels. Like, I mean, I try to get to, you know, discussions on, on transgender issues, yep. whether it's yep. comics, gaming, steampunk. Yep. I, I want to learn these things. Yep. Yeah. I don't often get away from my table. If I'm tabling at a comic book convention, I feel my responsibility is to be at, you know, be accessible to my meager fan base and to just like, you know, represent what it is that I've created. Uh, but there have been a couple of shows that I've just attended uh, as a fan and I got to sit in on different panels on diversity or I really like, because I'm an artist and a writer, I really like the creative process ones where you get to peek behind the curtain of the way, you know, the, the creators who I am a fan of to see how they work. Uh, and it's funny because there's no set rule, right? Like everybody, different writers write differently and different artists do art differently. And, and so it's always really fascinating and edifying to do that. I, I, I like the panels on diversity a lot. And I like when voices that don't often get a voice can speak out about the experience of what that is like telling it from a woman's perspective, from a queer woman's perspective, from a person of color's perspective, from just, I think that there's a real value to stuff like that. I was thinking there's a, an article that just came out. Uh, Marvel was talking about it's wide. It's how it is focusing on diversity and, you know, uh, abilities, there's, we've got back, not, forgive me, that where we have like uh, ability impaired individuals um, and there's queer characters and there's, you know, and then they stray off and start talking about alien races and like, oh, they have a lot of blue people. <laughs> that always comes to that, doesn't it? And I'm like, no, you got to stop guys here. Like, come in close. Everybody come here, sit down. Let's Let's have this talk. Okay, so ability impaired people exist in the real world, and so do gay people. But blue people don't exist in the real world. So let's just keep our conversation about diversity and people of color and queer minorities over here in like the real column. And then when you start talking about things like alien cultures and shapeshifters and blue people, then have a separate talk. But like, it's important that you don't equate my experience as a lesbian with that of a blue shape-shifting alien because one of us exists and one of us doesn't. And so if you're going to reflect my experience, even if it is also the experience of a blue shape-shifting alien, I want you to be more attuned to that subtle but very important difference. One of us exists, one of us does not. You know, um, and for me, I had to learn the same lesson years and years ago when I would talk about or people in my class would talk about, you know, I don't care. I, I get along with all people, black, white, yellow, blue, green. Well, blue and green are not skin tone colors. These are not culturally like people. There are no blue or green people. 
but there are black people and brown people, you know, like there's, there are real and there is different. And I think that we need to be a little bit more careful about the way that we talk about these things. And I think it's especially hard because this is an industry of like people that fly and shoot laser beams out of their eyes. And, you know, so how do we, how do you walk that razor's edge? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that I want it to happen with a little bit more carefulness or like mindfulness. That's the word that I would use. I want them to be more mindful when they talk about this stuff because it's not the same. Talking about your blue characters and your aliens and your mutants is not the same as talking about superheroes for you that are gay, that are, you know, people of color, that are, you know, ability impaired. It's not the same. They can overlap. But I want you, the people behind the scenes who are responsible for making this content, to be aware of that fine line and that difference. And I want you to respect that line. I love it. I absolutely love it. Have you been to any of the uh, specifically targeted uh, queer comic conventions like FlameCon or BentCon? So they tend to, the last one that they had was queer comics and creators, I think. The logo for it is like a yellow circle with uh, sort of handwriting in the center. Uh, and that ha- Oh, yeah. And, and that one I was super jazzed about. They asked me to be a panelist and to go, and I had a bunch of friends that were going, but I have a race group, or it was either – I had something that weekend. I think it was a Ragnar race that I do, a relay, like a destination relay race with 12 other women. I couldn't just stop doing it. Uh, or it was a wedding of a friend of mine, one of those on the weekend. And I was like, I think I could do it on Thursday. And everyone was like, you're not, it's across the country. You can't make this work. <laughs> so no. I haven't yet, but I really, really want to. It's just been a scheduling conflict. Okay. Because I did go to the first Flame Con and um, I was talking to uh, a couple of lesbians there at their table. And, and one of the things that they said was because there were so many of the very outwardly, not just flamboyant but very happily expressive yep. whatever you want to say gay men they're like they they were like well i'm really glad that there's women here because they were afraid that as a yep. as a queer comic-con that it was going to basically just be a non-stop drag show or something yep. yep and they you know like strong female protagonist was you know had a had a booth there so these were, were a couple of ladies and i'm spacing on their their comic but they have a comic about like uh like a supernatural ghost in pittsburgh or something yeah um, so it was cool to see, um, you know, that they felt comfortable enough there. So um, because that's important, like yep. you're saying, there's uh, we're all in this sort of clump, but yet different. Yep. And I think that there's so I wonder, I worry that my work with Duck specifically, I've done some travel logs and some independent like creator own comics. I did one about the Boston Marathon uh, because I love it. So like, there's a couple of comics that I've made that are passion projects that have nothing to do with my sexual orientation. But when it comes to duck, I feel like I'm too conservative sometimes. Um, it was really hard for me. My friend Katie was teasing me. Uh, I inked a lot of the sex scenes in duck two at her, um, at her home in New Hampshire or she has a lodge somewhere. And so I'm inking this stuff and she walked over and like handed me a glass of wine and was like, Oh my God, Tana, your face is so red. Like you're blushing right now. And I was because I was drawing this stuff that like took me out of my comfort zone. And I kept thinking while I was, you know, drawing these two women being together and like, and, you know, having this relationship, this stuff, having sex that 
I was like, oh my God, am I, is this okay? What are people going to think of this? And just like the physical act of doing that really pushed my own boundaries as an artist. Like I'd never done stuff like that. Um, so there's a little insight. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's, um, it, 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 yeah, I know if you, I, I've, trust me, I've tried to write sex scenes and I'm like, I've had some of the best sex imaginable. How can I not write this? Yeah. And you get a little steamy under the collar and you're like, Oh just, man. Yeah. I'm just, I suck at writing it. But, um, but you brought up, you know, your, your race group and marathons and everything. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's one of the, the, if we can squeeze it in here, I wanted to ask yeah. you, um, what your training, fitness training and everything does for you as a creator does it have some kind of impact on you and your thoughts because uh, I don't understand yes. running like what my partners oh, is a well, runner I don't you just I don't get it you so here's the secret to running alcohol like uh, yeah I, I've noticed that that yeah. you get to have drink when you're done it's that's what it is for years the first race that I ever did was a 5k and then I did nothing but 5ks 5k is 3.1 miles and where I lived in Somerville, there were there's a race series in Boston that are Boston is a very runner friendly town anyway. But there are a lot of five Ks and there are a lot of bars. And what happens is you get out of bed the, and do like the jingle bell run in Davis Square, and with five thousand of your closest friends in Santa hats, you jingle bell your way, you jog along for three miles, and then you can park it in a bar for the rest of the afternoon and drink and wear your medal like a fucking champion. So that's how I got started on running. The the trick is just to include alcohol at the end. I've yeah. noticed that. Yeah, a couple of my friends do like the the Tough Mudders yeah. and Spartans yeah. and and the thing and about yeah, it. I, for me, I had to realize that like, I'm never going to be fast. I've done a lot of races. I'm in the middle of doing this race, the equivalent of a half marathon every month this year, which I've done. I'm coming in on my 10th half marathon and I had never done a half marathon before this year. Like I said, I'd only done five K's and I think, you know, the most was a 10 miler at some point and maybe a six miler, but like nothing really, like I mostly just did half an hour races and that was it. Uh, but I'm dating a woman who is a marathoner. She's a runner and she loves it and she's good at it and she's fast and she pushes hard. And, and I was like, okay, we could do this. So I did my first half marathon. We had already signed up for a second half marathon. When that was done, I was like, you know, I think I'm just going to race a half marathon every month this year. Why not? That'll be a thing I do. And so far I've done it. I think in March I had to do like there wasn't any half marathons near me. And so I did a 10 miler and a 5k and together they add up to the distance of a half marathon. So it all works out. So that's the, that's the thing that I'm doing right now, but I don't do them very fast. And once I realized that like, I just get to go out for, you know, somewhere between two and a half and three hours and enjoy the morning. And then I can drink mimosas and have bacon all day. It seems to really work for me. So does um does it give you any you know first of all you're getting a ton of oxygen yep. when you're doing it yep. um and then you know I love the booze it's yep. like the opposite of it it brings you back down <laughs> I, you know one of the things that I see a lot of comic creators and and authors complain about yeah. is their um how hard it is to get away yep. from their workspace yep. so is this something that 
it has um, a profound effect on my mood. You get really bogged down and being creative can is really draining. I mean, especially all of us are putting our work out there to be evaluated by strangers. And some of us get scathing responses to stuff that we've really worked hard on. And, and it, you get in your own head, Kirsten will come home from work and there'll be a, you know, a black cloud hanging over the house. And she knows that it's been a bad day of work. And I've just struggled with every line I've put on the page. And she'll say, you know, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a jog. Let's get you out of this house. And it really has a lightning effect on me. Like my mood increases. You know, I don't always get happy. It's not a magic pill. But I have found that I am drawn to either go to the whiskey bottle or go for a walk or a run. And if I go for a walk or a run and then go to the whiskey bottle, I'm way better. Like I usually, if I've been struggling with something on the page or how to frame a scene, how to draw a particular character or figure out, you know, a problem with a plot, I can go for a run or I can just go out into the world, whatever your thing is. If it's, you know, playing baseball or running around, I used to play tag with my niece and nephew and that was really exhausting and great. Um, It unlocks like your creative center. I feel like part of your brain just goes on autopilot and is allowed to sort it out without you getting in the, in the way of that. And so I find it really beneficial in a creative sense to get up and go. I, yeah, I have to, um, I've been completely complacent and not exercising at all. Um, but I definitely need to, to change scenery. Like every, every hour or so I'm like, okay, well now I got to go into the sewing room and go work on something new. And then I got to come back into the desk and then I got to, if I, you know, whether it's, you know, podcasting for two hours and then it's, you know, writing fiction for an hour and kind of constantly change it. Otherwise I just get into a brain dead kind of state. I think it's really important to appreciate. And if you can love the body that you're in and bodies are meant to be in motion, they're meant to do things. We're supposed to walk and run and fuck and play and go and, and do things. And I think as an able bodied person, I have a responsibility to myself to use this body while I have it, you know, and, and to do things with it. I'm not, I've always played team sports and I've always been, an active person, but it wasn't until, you know, my after college life that I became a sort of sometimes runner. We did a thing last night. We have a really great running community down here. And I'm, like I said, I'm not very fast. I'm not joking about that. I will jog and walk. Like I'm not very fast. Um, but it always makes me feel good to get out and go. And we have a really supportive community down here. Um, I actually have done a couple of podcasts for Delray Beach Run Club. It's called the Aid Station. And so if you want to hear Kirsten and I just like talk about running, you can check that out. I hope it's okay that I'm plugging that podcast on your podcast. There, oh, yeah, it's fine. There's this brand new and kind of wild and whatever. So anyway, uh, but we'll go down. And last night we did a run called Tap It on the Ave, which is a pub crawl of five bars in the Delray Beach area where you run, you jog from bar to bar. And there's a fast group that goes out first. There's like almost 200 people that do this. A fast group goes out first. We're usually in group two and they kind of jog along and you go to one bar and the bar already has all these little beers. You get to do these taste tests of like little pilsners and there's a lot of pumpkin ales out last night and stouts and whatever. And you get, you know, a little beer 
and a little snackadoo, and then you jog to the next one, and you have another beer, and sometimes a mixed drink, and it's really a lot of fun, so... It's it's funny that you uh, it's like oh my gosh we I end up like you you're reminding me of so many things yeah um, that the like you said you have a responsibility of using your body and that was something that I learned God I don't know maybe like ten fifteen years ago from a, a yoga class um, my in- instructor had gotten back from a retreat and had you know had picked up some new things and yep. we were inside in a, in a, her studio and we did a walking meditation, just walking. Yep. We ended up walking in a circle just because I think as humans, we tend to just yeah. follow up a, a herd. Yep. And you know, the idea was to walk anywhere in the room and just walk around. And, and one of the things that she said was take every step with a purpose. And, and she at one point said, these, you know, this step that you're taking is for somebody who can't take that step. Yeah. And it just, it stuck in my head so long that every time I, I go through these real, you know, very high and low roller coasters with my body and, and I hadn't been, been using it and moving it for a while that I, you know, I got back to yoga and got back to a, to the gym and then got into a dance class. And it was, it was one of those things where I had found that purpose again, like I, I need to do this. And then like, you know, shit all falls apart and now I'm back to not doing it. But, um, but it's just interesting how these little things that somebody can say to you once, like 15 years ago ends up like sticking in your head, but it's a a lot of the the folks that I know who are creative talk about the importance of getting up and, um, you know, and getting out there. And I guess that's why a lot of people write in coffee shops. I don't really understand. They're so noisy, but no, well, I like, I like inking in coffee shops. When I lived in Boston, um, I lived near a really great comic book store called hub comics, which is still there. And it's right next to one of the city's most fantastic coffee shops, which is block 11. Um, and block was right down the hill from my apartment. So, I would pencil, you know, five pages of duck two during the week at my like non-comic paying job, you know, so like my nine to five job and I would be drawing at my job and I would take them at night and ink them. And on the weekends, I would just take a stack of pages down to block 11. There's a cute little table in the very back uh, that faces the wall. It's like a nice little secret alcove. They make a great breakfast sandwich And I would just stay there all day on Saturday or Sunday, you know, through the morning hours and just ink and listen to my, you know, to podcasts or my music or whatever, maybe chat with an occasional stranger. And it was awesome. And I really miss having that community. I'm kind of out in a agricultural area in Florida. And so it takes me a half an hour to get to the closest restaurant or bar. And so I never leave the house now. I just like only work exclusively in my house and it's gorgeous here and I love it. Um, but it's a different environment and I miss being in a city sometimes. Well, I know that you have about a week left of oh, yeah, yeah. your Kickstarter. Yeah. So I've got about a week left. I'm just under half funded. So anybody listening to this, I would be eternally grateful if you would support my Kickstarter. And if you believe that stories about representation told from the inside that preserve queer spaces uh, for posterity are important. I would love it if you would uh, support my Kickstarter. It's on the Kickstarter website at duck. Third time is the charm. There'll be a nice video about me snapping about flannel. 
It's hilarious. I love that. I was like, oh my God, me too. I have a video update that I've been sort of picking at editing. Uh, I had to learn a lot of things. So what I want to do is just make comics forever. But I, in order to do that, I have to learn how to do a Kickstarter and I have to learn how to video edit and I have to do all these like tangential things. Um, so hopefully it gets funded and hopefully I can go back to making comics that I love and that hopefully will add one more voice the gay experience. The, um, the rewards. I, I haven't done a Kickstarter. I've sort of been part of one because of the um, Rise Comics Against Bullying by Northwest Press went through um, nice. Kickstarter. But I didn't have to actually do any of the management of it. Yeah, Zan's been um, helping me uh, with my Kickstarter. He hosts Duck 1 and 2, uh, which right. are available as, as downloads, digital downloads. But they're also, which you could buy right now through Northwest Press if you wanted. Or you could hold off for two weeks sponsor me today at the like $16 or something. And you'll get a digital download of all three books, the two of them immediately. Oh, and I have my travel log that time I turned 30 in Greece available for anybody at any donation level. You could donate a dollar and you immediately get a download uh, of my Greece comic, which is I think pretty funny. And it gives a nice indication of the kind of storyteller that I am. If you're interested in my long form comics. So that's something to consider. Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, a great bargain for like the $16 mm-hmm. mark. And um, then when you get on to like 20 is where I guess you're doing hard copies. Yep. Yeah, the $20 one. And I haven't written this. I've been meaning to write this as an update. Anything above the $16 mark uh, is going to get immediate downloads or when the Kickstarter closes and we get funded, we'll get a link to download duck one and two digitally for anybody that, you know, if you want, so the book is $20 or 25, somewhere in there. And if you get the book, you'll also get all the downloads and you know, whatever else it is that you've signed up for, but anything above 16 gets all the PDFs. That's been a question people have been asking. So that's the answer. That is wonderful. And then you've got some of the, oh. you know, the, the, the higher tiers yep. that where you have them like really limited and stuff. Yeah. So, if you, uh, like me, have wanted to see yourself in a comic like this forever, you can. And you can do some real good work by uh, sponsoring my comic book. So there's like a tier where you can be in the comic book. And then there's a tier where you could have a speaking part. I have a bartender written and a sex toy, like a woman that works behind the counter in the sex toy shop that I was telling you about, there's this whole conversation back and forth. So it would be three or four pages of dialogue. So if that person, there are only three of those spots, the bartender, the, um, the woman that works in the, in the sex toy store. And I think, what's the other one? I think it's a pedicab guy or girl. Uh, and so like, yeah, because she's taking everybody home at night and they're sort of drunkenly talking. So there are a couple of sets of scenes that if somebody wanted to be in the comic and have like this really, you know, three dimensional experience of it, then I would make them that character. So there's those, um, but, and sort of all sorts of things in between. And Scotty Young did art for my comic. Scotty Young from, uh, he does those little baby covers for Marvel and he's working on something fairyland. Get me out of fairyland. What's it called? Anyway, he's done a ton of stuff. Everybody knows Scotty Young. Yeah, everybody knows him. And he did a great, like, uh, Wizard of Oz series. Yeah, he did the Wizard of Oz series. And he also did uh, 
the that time the everything but the milk what was the neil gaiman thing uh thank goodness for the milk oh yeah yeah, yeah okay. why can't i think of it yeah all but the milk but for the milk something like that anyway. something like that so he did the american illustrations for that for that book so anyway scotty's awesome and he was he did a a pinup of my characters that i'll be able to include in the back and It'll be one of the print choices. I have uh, another couple of artists. One for sure. I just finished coloring the artwork today uh, from a really big name in comics, which is going to be amazing. But no spoilers. So pay attention to my Kickstarter and keep an eye out. And even uh, retailers um, bundle too. Yes. Oh, I only have one retailer bundle left. Okay. So those sold sold like hotcakes. But yeah, and you can always support it any, you know, if you only want the book, but you want to give me $15,000, you can just order the book and have it be for $15,000. You could do that. That's a thing people can do. (laughs) Absolutely. We will encourage that. Yeah, we'll allow it. So if you're worried about that, don't worry. You can do it. Yeah, there's no limits, and it's okay because it's absolutely okay to go over the the goal because then you end up with stretch goals. Exactly, I'm hoping to do a my stretch goal back when I uh, was sort of thinking of the idea of how to structure the Kickstarter. I thought a good stretch goal would be to do Duck Two, the Lambda Literary nominated or finalist book in full color. I thought that would be really great because I'm sold out of that one. Naturally, it's the most popular of the Duck series. And I think, you know, there are only a limited number of the physical books in existence. And um, and so I wanted to do a release, a re-release of it in full color. And I thought that would be really, that would be a really great opportunity to do it. So, and this is my first time doing a full color book, uh, which is why I'm kickstarting it because printing in color is so expensive. And so I was able to swing it, you know, with my like day job before printing my passion project in black and white, but in full color, that's not going to be, that's crazy talk. So, well, you have, you have some sample pages up and it's really, I love this little panel. Um, actually it's a big panel with the, like where you could see the town yeah, and all the, the people bustling yeah. and the flags. Yeah. I love it. You know, I am, I, I have a lot more of that and the town is as much a character in the book as the, the main characters are, you know, you really get a sense of the beaches and of the odd and unusual queerness, what it's like to occupy that queer space where everybody that you see on the street is some form of other, just like you. It doesn't matter if they're hanging up a sign or if they're, you know, working behind the register or if they're just sipping coffee and walking their dogs. Like there is something beautifully natural, like un- unusually normal about being in a space where everyone is other, just like you. And there are plenty of straight families that live there. And like, you know, it's just sort of otherness. They have drag bingo, no, drag karaoke seven nights a week at the Governor Bradford, which is the town bar for, you know, salty dog sailors. You know, like it's not like sailors, like old guys go to this place and there's drag karaoke every night. It's just it's normal to be different and that's so great. So I'm hoping to really encapsulate that space. Well, with, you know, we will absolutely see duck volume three come out. I'm I'm 
Having no doubt. Uh, yay! Yeah, where yeah, can uh, I think there's 13 days, 13 days in the Kickstarter left today, or something like that. So please don't delay. Go donate. Let's make some art together. Let's make some meaningful stories happen. And where can people like follow you yeah. on all of the internet things? On the internets, I'm most present on Twitter at Tana Ford, one word, and on Facebook at Tana Ford Designs at Facebook. I also have a Tumblr that I update incredibly infrequently, sadly, uh, which is Tana Ford on Tumblr. And I think that's it. I also have a website, TanaFord.com, that I just maintain. Uh, or like that I just keep, but I don't really update it. And that's got some background. I've done some sculpture, some custom painted, you know, car and motorcycle work, some other stuff. Like I'm an artist, but what I really want to be doing is comics. So support me. Cool. Yeah, I did see um, your custom Jeep and what the do you motorcycle think of that? It's pretty badass. Right? I tell you what, it, it, looks, it looks like, um, you know, like a little matchbox car I would have had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I painted, like, blue inside the wheel wells and everything, sanded them down. So you can find out probably far too much about me on the internets. <laughs> All right, cool. Tana, thanks for your time. Thank and you so much. Um, good luck. And you guys, um, you can, if you, you feel like, you know, popping a dollar or two my way, you go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked, and that's how you do that. Nice. Uh, and um, I'm also mostly on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, so... Um, I, I'm just usually there the most cause it works easiest on yep. the, the phone, like yep. Facebook on the phone just blows. Yep. So, Agreed. um, yeah, so, um, I will sort of be wandering around New York comic con, but not really like there in a presence. I'm yes. going to be there, you know, um, I'm uh, I will be for any of your international listeners. The next convention I'll be at is thought bubble in the UK Very nice. in Leeds, England in November. So look for me there. I have a table. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll have some duck stuff there as well. We'll see. I'll definitely have some silk number seven. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, awesome. Yay. All right. Thank you so much. Find us on the internet. Yeah. 